house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. It's Dr. Lisa Metzger's job. What is it? To listen. He's so young. And? He's ten years different. He could be my brother. If he were one year younger, he could be your brother. Enjoy your life. You deserve this. But hell, I deserve this. As a mother, Hello, sweetheart. it's her job to speak her mind. I've been dating someone. What? No, she's not Jewish. Mom, I'm not trying to kill you. Are you out of your mind? Drop it now. It's only going to end badly. But the two most important roles in her life are about to collide. Oh my God. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast frolicking naked under the watchful eye of the Godiva Chocolatiers. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I am here as always with the 23-year-old fuckboy to my 37-year-old hag, Chris File. Hello, Chris. I will absolutely take that. I am positive. It's the only time I've ever been referred to as a fuckboy. <laughs> take it and run. It's one of the last times I'll ever be referred to as 37. I'll tell you that much for sure. Um, well, uh, I, uh, yeah, I am um, uh, sure. <laughs> we are fine <laughs> we are aging with this dynamic. ever rapidly in quarantine. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Hurtling ever forward into an uncertain future. That is for sure. Listeners, uh, Tell Joseph Reed happy birthday. It's his birthday this week. Oh, God, when this comes out. Yeah, it sure is. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, my indeterminate birthday. Yes, again, one year older. One year older and several more uh, podcasts under my belt since the last one. So, yeah. This movie, Chris, we sure picked a movie. We sure picked a movie that exists as you watch it, perhaps does not <laughs> exist as you do not watch it. Had you um, ever seen this one before? I had, and so I didn't did, like so it then, and I don't like it now. I my my opinion has changed on it somewhat. I watched it at the time because, of course, it's a Meryl Streep movie. Um, I my memories of it were meh. I was sort of like, oh, it's fine. It's middle of the road it's forgettable like i don't really remember a ton about it except for meryl in her rita skeeter glasses and and wig sort of uh thing but her wooden bead necklaces right because she's playing a therapist she can't be a therapist if she doesn't have a wooden beaded necklace it only makes sense It, it, Mm -hmm. it um i I didn't remember, like, you know, you remember, I remembered at least, like, Brian Greenberg being a complete snack. But, like, that's really only kind of what I remembered about the movie. And then watching it again, I was like, oh, this is a good deal worse than I recalled. Yeah. And it's too bad. I was sort of, with with these movies, we don't, um, for a lot of them at least, we don't pick them sort of, like, sharpening our knives and sort of going in. I think with a lot of these movies that either I've forgotten about or that i've never seen before my ex my hope is that i find you know i uncover a little diamond in the rough i sort of you know find something that 
I can champion a little bit. And this and, was I mean not that, that does that does happen even with the same performer. Like I think of an episode like Ricky and the Flash with Meryl Streep sure, where sure, like sure. I definitely revisited that and liked it a lot more. This I liked a lot less. I feel like I remember being just like you, very meh about this movie. Yeah. And we try not to talk about the movie until we're on mic together, but I definitely text you randomly the other day this racist ass homophobic ass movie <laughs> or something to that extent you did and i hadn't rewatched it at that point and i was i i was i thought you were talking about something else because i'm like i don't remember prime even like approaching that kind of stuff and then watching it again i was it's just very like casual oh, about it very but ca- like yeah. yeah yeah it's a lot broier a move a, a movie than I would, than I A, remembered, and B, than you would expect for a Meryl Streep, Uma Thurman movie. Mm-hmm. And I do and have I, some theories about that. I definitely have theories about it, too, and we won't get it too deep into it ahead of the 60-second plot description. But I think it's like you go into this movie expecting a Meryl Streep, Uma Thurman movie, but it's actually a Brian Greenberg movie. It's it and yes, and it's not even a Brian Greenberg movie. It's a Ben Younger movie. Like this is the thing. Is truly, like, it's my my main takeaway from this movie. Seeing it the second time is this feels like a movie that sort of fell ass backwards into two A list actors in its leads, mm-hmm. and the ideal version of this movie failed upwards. Yeah, it's just sort of like the ideal, the sort of platonic ideal of this movie is a sort of middle of the road not necessarily like unknown performers but like maybe character actor in the Merrill role and maybe sort of like somebody who's you know not been just been in both Kill Bill movies as the female lead but what what it felt like to me was did you ever have you seen the Jennifer Westfeld movies yes uh, kissing Jessica I, uh, Stein. I will uh, defend them they are imperfect I they are imperfect but see this is the thing is this movie reminded me of that genre of movie. Jennifer Westfeld um, uh, wrote uh, Kissing Jessica Stein and mm-hmm. I, yeah, I The best Abby. version of this movie has like everybody that was involved with Kissing Jessica Stein. The best version of this movie is Ira and Abby, which is the movie that she made with Chris Messina. And it has somewhat of the same themes, but like this is a subgenre that I tend to give a lot of leeway to, which is sort of modest. Uh, very screenwritery, uh, New Yorky relationship comedies, right? And I, I love this genre. I will, I will sort of mm-hmm. like cuddle up with this genre. I think it depends on a few factors that Prime falls short in. One of them primarily being this is a genre that really depends on you liking the characters a lot mm-hmm. because you need to give, you need to sort of like, stick with them through their kind of personality defects and the twists and turns of the story and whatnot. And And the tone needs to be like cozy and comfortable, the type of thing that you can just like have smooth brain on the sofa. Likeable, just a likable romantic comedy that at least for me, as I texted you yesterday, it makes me feel so homesick for New York watching this because it is like just in a very low key way. It's not one of those just like the city is a character, but like just watching them line up at Cinema Village and watching them line up at Magnolia and all this sort of stuff. I'm like, ah, uh. um, but it really, really hinges on 
likability. And I think that's one of the things that Jennifer West felt for as sort of aggressively, uh, not necessarily quirky, but neurotic, I guess, as her characters tend to be, I find them very likable. And that's why I can really like dive into a movie like Kissing Jessica Stein or Ira and Abby. And this movie just on a deep fundamental level, despite having performers I really love in the three leads, including Brian Greenberg, who I've really liked in other things. I just don't like any. I know Brian Greenberg's one of those actors that is made to divide us. You don't like. I should like, like a that, Brian Greenberg, but Brian Greenberg. My problem with Brian Greenberg is I have such facial blindness to him. He looks like <laughs> about four different actors. He reminded me of John Foster. Shout out to our uh, yeah. In the he kind of so. does. Yeah. But as written, these characters are so completely devoid of any kind of qualities that would make you like them. Like, the best of them is Uma Thurman's character, who is, like, a blank. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's really, like, I, it takes a lot for me to not fundamentally like a Meryl Streep character. And this movie did it. And then the side characters. I don't characters, dislike her character, but I just don't think, she, I think she's miscast. Keep I going. don't think there was anything to like about her. And then like and then the side characters are all like demon from hell monsters to a person. Maybe Annie Parisi is like escapes this, but it's <laughs> it just completely miscalculates what a movie like this needs. And then when I saw that it was from a writer director whose only other two movies are Boiler Room and uh Bleed for This, the Miles Teller boxing movie. Exactly like, the oh. person you want writing and directing a romantic comedy. <laughs> right. I was like, oh, a lot of this makes sense now. Because this is not a movie that is somebody being like, I'm going to write a romantic comedy with Meryl Streep and Uma Thurman in it. It is, I'm going to write a movie about a 23-year-old who hooks up with a super hot divorcee and I'll cast. It turned and out his Uma mom Thurman. is pissed about it. Right, exactly. And I, I mean, whatever. It, the temptation to read things into writer directors in this way like i'm sure ben younger has every chance of being a perfectly fine person but like it's challenging specifically for this movie because like it's so watching this movie to me it felt so obvious that like the movie the script wanted brian greenberg's character to be the protagonist of the movie but like there was this conscious decision to make it a romantic comedy that's focuses on these two women but really doesn't um in any substantial way like meryl streep's barely in this movie um right Right. but because you've now cast meryl streep she becomes it's a meryl Meryl, right you've you've now gotten yourself into a boat where you've made a meryl streep movie that has certain expectations and this movie does not meet them yeah we'll talk about uh their her screen her screen chemistry with uma and like uma in this role as we get into it too because there's like a reason that it's off yeah and also in terms of the oscar buzz of it all this movie could not have come at a point where it would like this came at the exact point in history where it would have the highest expectations for Mm -hmm. Oscar buzz because it's right after Uma makes both Kill Bill movies, both of which she is Golden Globe nominated for and doesn't get Oscar nominations. And I think everybody who sort of followed things were like, well, it'd be nice if Uma were in the kind of movie that the Academy would even think about, you know, nominating. And right. now that, you know, now or she's, in if this... she's not in a movie where she's killing people with swords. Right. 
Oscar might go for it. Right, especially opposite Oscar's favorite, you know, daughter, Meryl Streep. And then Streep is also, as we'll discuss, in the middle of this, like, kind of career renaissance, which began with, I would say, Adaptation and Mm -hmm. The Hours, both in 2002, where... By the late 90s, I think Meryl fatigue had really set in with, I think, music of the heart and whatnot. And all of a sudden now, she's making these really exciting films. She does Adaptation and The Hours and then Angels in America, back to back to back. And I think she's sort of ascending again. And so the expectations on this one were so out of whack for what this movie is. Like, it's so funny to think back in retrospect that, like, we were like, oh, Meryl... Get ready for it. Meryl's got Prime coming in October. Uma and Meryl, you know. And maybe the only way that you could have avoided it, because especially these two actresses would either not cast those actresses, because this is not in any way an Oscar movie on paper, or, like, this movie gets released in, like, March or something. Right. But it didn't. It got released in the fall. Late late October. October. Yeah. Yeah. Prime, prime, uh, ironically enough, Prime... uh, territory for oscar movies why is this movie called prime christopher tell me uh according to imdb it's because the most possible stupid reason you could imagine both of the love interests the age they are at when they date each other are in their a sexual prime, prime? Number. oh are in our prime oh, numbers Jesus H. Christ. Oh, is it their sexual prime? That's I have no idea. Stupid too. It's it's, there's, <laughs> because... it's not a good reason. It's the best I could come up with. I'm like, oh, is it because like was there a line that was cut in the script where like gross John Abraham's friend character talks to uh, Greenberg's character about how you know because of course the the adage I guess is that. Yeah, men are in their sexual primes in their early 20s and women are in their sexual primes in like their 30s or whatever and like who knows what kind of bunk science that actually is but it's one of those things that you see repeated in things like bad romantic comedies and yeah. that's the only thing i could think of for why this movie is called prime but it's never like that kind of concept is never brought up in the actual movie itself i was so confused prime number is the is fits this movie for how dumb of a reason that would be that this is what that is yeah it just feels like when you watch the movie it feels like a very weird title that doesn't make any sense yeah it's true uh all right do we want to get to the other side of this plot description so we can actually talk about this movie in specific i mean i think this would be the fastest we've ever gotten there <laughs> listeners are like fist pumping in the air they're so <laughs> proud of us <laughs> Do you think they listen to us and are like, when are they going to do it? When are they going to get to the plot description? Like, what's Is that like the opening credits of a show? Yeah, like, you know when it's really fucking cool in a movie that it's like, oh, I've been watching this for 20 minutes and now there's credits. A friend of mine uh, compared it to The Good Fight. Do you watch The Good Fight? No. The Good Fight, one of the many reasons why it's a phenomenal show, but it is like... I'll watch it, I'll watch it. It's insane and chaotic in the best ways, and one of the ways that it is, is it will fully wait, like, 20 minutes into an episode before it'll haul out the opening credits. (laughs) And so, um, Kevin O'Keefe texted me that the one time, it's just like, you've really gotten good fight in terms of your your 60-second plot description coming so late (laughs) into... Friend and former guest, Kevin O'Keefe. Yes. Thank you for reading us. That's what's had that on my mind. I was like, are we, are we pushing the envelope 
so far on this. All right. I just like, I tend to think that we're probably, usually people have not seen some of these movies or sometimes hopefully they have not seen these movies as we learned last week. Um, that, yeah, it just sounds like, it, to me, it seems like it's probably a miasma until we get into it. That's so let's true. get into Let, it for this movie. It. Relatively yeah. simple. Yeah, we're talking about the 2005 film Prime, written and directed by Ben Younger, starring Meryl Streep, Uma Thurman, Brian Greenberg, John Abrahams, Annie Parisi, Zach Orth, other various character actors. It premiered October 28th, 2005. That's it. Chris, do you want to... How dare you not mention Doris Balak, the legend Doris Balak, as... Meryl Streep's mother. Yes. No, that's true. And what's his face from The Sopranos? The guy who plays Hesh on The Sopranos is the grandfather. It's true. Doris Black, one of my favorite people in the movie Tootsie. Uh, I love her yes. every time she's on screen. Is she the one who says, uh, when they're like, how far do you want the camera to pull back? And she says, how about Cleveland? <laughs> yes. Right? That yeah, is her. That's a good that's line. Her. Okay. Uh, except I don't think, does she say that or does uh, Harvey Corman say that? Or not Harvey Corman. Um... I'd like to make her look a little more attractive. How far can you pull back? How do you feel about Cleveland? Anyway. Anyway, we're here to talk about Prime. <laughs> we are here to talk we'll, about Prime. We'll have plenty of time to talk about Doris Black. Obviously we will. Um, we, You have currently 60 seconds on the clock, and I will start when you are ready. Oh, sure. All right, and go. All right, Rafi, played by Uma Thurman, is a 37-year-old, very, very recent divorcee. Meryl Streep uh, is her therapist. She is a really great therapist. Like, don't we all envy that? Um, uh, anyway, she suddenly starts dating uh, Brian Greenberg, who is a 23-year-old loser and um, kind of artist. He still lives with his grandparents and his parents. He's very, um, he, he's, a, he's a fuckboy, right? But anyway, she has sex with the fuckboy and then she seconds. falls in love with fuckboy and then they start dating but uh, oh shit david is meryl streep's son and meryl streep figures it out before anybody else figures it out but she keeps uh seeing uma thurman and then eventually she tells her and then they break up and then she also breaks up with her therapist all of this and then she misses her but then she goes back to david and then they uh kind of like uh work it out for a hot minute and then because she wants a baby uh he ends up leaving her and then it's like oh but they still loved each other and they can look back on it fondly and that's the end of the movie? Yeah, that's the end of the movie. They get back together and break up so many times yep. in a way that you really feels do. realistic and true to life. And like that I appreciated about it. But it got very tedious in the movie for a couple you never wanted to be together to begin with. It, At the very least, I can say it does the thing that I want probably 65% of romantic comedies to do, which is it ends with them not together. And I don't know yeah, what I mean, that is this about one was my very psyche. Much like a thank God they're not together. Yes, not necessarily like satisfying. Like the satisfying thing in movies would be like bittersweet. They don't end up together. No, right. This is like real. dodged a bullet. Uh, but still, exactly. But still, I was this is like I, dodged a firing squad. Up until the very last second, I was really worried that she was going to get up out of her seat in that restaurant when he's peering in at her from outside. That she was going to go like be with him and i was just like okay it's good that that didn't happen but see some of this though is what makes me like meryl's character in this movie because like she's the one who actually like goes through an interesting character arc because she's very against it like she wants her son to be with a jewish woman to carry on the family faith um 
so she's very skeptical. And then, of course, like she's getting all of these sexual details in the therapy sessions with Rafi. And like that's like icking her out more. But like she ends up like seeing that her son is happy and kind of growing up a little bit. And like she tries to be as supportive as possible. And like when David eventually takes Rafi to meet the family, like the scenes of her and Rafi together, I thought were like really interesting yes. and not what you would expect of the character. Yep. Um, that's Meryl's, like incredibly warm to her and like talking to her. And meanwhile, Uma Thurman is crying and saying like, I've missed you so much, all of this. And they get to have like what feels like the first real conversation between two real people in the whole movie. Yeah. That is absolutely the best scene of the movie. And it's the best thing about the movie, which is that it, treats their therapist-patient relationship as more than just the plot obstacle that it is. Mm-hmm. And it it takes it seriously, and it allows them... Remember my whole thing? One of my big problems with a movie like Crazy Stupid Love, which we covered ages ago on this podcast, oh was like, it once once the plot obstacle was revealed and whatever, it didn't deal with the fallout of that in any real way. It didn't deal with Emma Stone and her relationship with her father in any way where it's like, oh, you've been, you know, friends with this guy I've been seeing and he's been weirdly, like, grooming you to be a, um, like, ladies' man or whatever. And all of these things that you were just like, these people have relationships. Like, there would be fallout to this beyond just the moment where everybody finds out. And the thing that Prime does that that movie does not is it treats the revelation as less important as what the relationship between those two characters is. So, mm-hmm. like, good on Prime for that. I mean, I do think the best version of the mo- of what this movie could be is the one that focuses on that, and it's not yes. really, like, making a scene about it. Because, like... Even Uma and Meryl's, like, chemistry is so off in this movie, and, like, those their scenes together are so off. Like, it feels like the showcases, the set pieces, are when they actually bring these two actresses together, or should be. And, like, that's what, like, that's what everybody showed up to see in this movie, and yep. the movie is kind of ho-hum about it. And, like, again, I think the movie is trying to make the dude the main character in this movie, and we just don't care um, right. No, it's definitely and, a movie that yeah. comes to the story from his perspective. And that's yeah. silly. <laughs> but it does seem to be indicative of the fact that it's written by somebody who shares certain biographical details with Brian Greenberg. Mm-hmm. So. But but yet... I also just think we've seen the that movie the one that centers on like a 23 year old bro yeah like growing up just a tiny bit and treating it like it's some mountainous you know uh achievement that he has done by like painting his walls um right and we haven't really seen the movie that's like a romantic comedy but really about the patient therapist relationship and like that type of connection right so, like, it's all the more frustrating because nothing about this dude is interesting. No, it's really true. He He's this sort of, like, he's vaguely an artist. He, even just, like, the way that their romantic relationship rolls out, like, it 
would have been a better movie to me if it was more upfront about the fact that like Rafi is seeing this younger guy for like they it, it does a good job of sort of like giving her rationale of just like look he's 23 and he can go all day and I'm you know experiencing this sort of like renewed sort of like you know sexual experience with this guy and everything and everything is exciting and young and whatever but ultimately it's foolish and can't last and all this like if it was all of that through her perspective only i think that would have been fine i think because Mm -hmm. the fact that we're now supposed to deal with this kind of it's it's tough to say i feel bad saying like he should be more of an object in this movie but like he should maybe be little less of a subject yeah, I mean, he should be a supporting character because it's like even the even his relationship with his mother is so like flat and not really developed in an interesting way because you have this whole religious conversation, but you re- you almost never see him interacting with it in any way like it doesn't to the point where you just want him to say, look, I'm not that religious to his parents because or or have the movie show he has nothing to do with it like the whole religious aspect in terms of his character is just right. his mom wants him to date a jewish girl yeah right it would it, or at least like show him in the context of his judaism at all like whether like does it like is friday night seder like a thing that does anything for him do you know what i mean does his rela- mm-hmm. relationship with his family like does relationship it's, it's with neither painted sister. here nor there because like i would have taken it if he was against it right because it would have made a lot of other things make sense right but like but deal with it like address it yeah and this movie doesn't and then it turns the it turns all of the conflicts into these sort of rather shallow things because then it makes meryl's character look more petty and more sort of silly and frivolous because Mm -hmm. she takes this thing seriously and the movie doesn't share that opinion yeah like ultimately i'm my i'm not as a viewer ever really going to ever come down on the side of the person who is like your religion means you can't have this relationship because we say so like that's never going to be a thing that i'm going to sign on for so the fact that this movie doesn't do anything to counteract that. I'm just in the weeds on it. Sure. I also still think she comes across, even though the movie is working against making her seem like a rational person and like all of her behavior, she's like hiding behind beds at Pier 1 or something right. when she spots them out in the wild. Right. Um, she also is the one who's the most considerate of everyone in a way because like she obviously cares for her son but she also cares for her patient as well who like and that's why she stays with her she doesn't want to disrupt like her care um yeah i i suppose there's a universe in which this movie behaves more like a mainstream studio comedy and has meryl like hatching schemes that mm-hmm. I'm sort of glad it didn't go in that direction, at least. That like, But it keeps this movie in this sort of middle ground where at least that movie, the movie where Meryl is hatching schemes and sort of trying to break them up on the sly and like, you know, 
planting little, you know, seeds in Raffi and whatever, and, like, being a worse character, but in a sort of more broadly funny context, that's at least something. That would at least be, maybe that movie is funnier? I don't know. But as it stands, the movie that we get is too in the middle of that, where it's just, like, it doesn't, it's not antic, and it's not glossy, but it's also... Without that, you need to really, like, supplement that with more heartfelt, true-to-life, you know, recognizable scenes and character moments. Certainly in the relationship between Uma Thurman and Brian Greenberg's characters, who, like, so much of the little, like, beats that we see in their relationship is, I think, meant to sell us on the fact that, like, oh, they're really, like, falling in love. But, like, is it, like... At what what at what point when she was watching him play basketball at Tompkins Square? Like what is it just like what are the what are these little like markers when they like went to this like fun and cool little like, you know, party and whatever and they like dance together? I don't know. I just I mean, I do think there's hints along the way that her ex-husband was like completely devoid and like yeah. didn't yeah. give her any attention in the bare minimum sense so it's like the movie i don't know it's a it's a tricky walk that the movie can't quite manage of making it a romantic comedy but knowing that like what her journey is is like becoming optimistic and feeling appreciated but like it has a shelf life and Mm. the movie takes it to that shelf life which is ultimately having a child and knowing she can't have a child with this child bro yeah um so like i don't know because like i do think there's like seeds of that in there but the movie can't like i don't know fine-tune it enough to make it that be the journey like it ends up falling into oh but no they're so in love Right, it does a lot of, like, telling us that they're so in love, which, like, even, like, through the therapy scenes, where, like, most we get most of our information about the status of this relationship by Rafi, like, telling Meryl's character straight up what's going on. And And I do wonder, and I think this is also kind of why the chemistry isn't fully there, or, like, the relationship isn't fully there on screen between Meryl and Uma as well, but, like, Uma Thurman came on to the movie, like, a week before they were shooting yep, because it was supposed to be Sandra Bullock and like Sandra Bullock had done full rehearsals with Brian Greenberg. And Sandra Bullock had reportedly wanted changes made to the script. And and we can see why. Right. And it didn't happen. And she kind of bailed on it. And it's funny because especially talking about it in context of Oscar stuff, like Meryl and Sandra Bullock have become, in my mind at least, sort of like intertwined on an Oscar level because of the 2009 Oscar campaign where Sandra... They become famous uh, makeout buddies. Right, exactly. Right. Bullock ends up winning for The Blind Side and Meryl is sort of second place for Julie and Julia. And did is it that they tied at Critics' Choice? I think. I mean, I can't imagine one of them going on stage when the other one won. So I do think they may be tied. I think that's that. what it was. I think it was that they tied at the Critics' Choice Awards, and they like made out is too strong of a word for it, but like they like kissed for real on the stage. And they pretended very, like, to fight, and then it became right. uh, making out. And then in her Oscar speech, um, 
Sandra Bullock sort of like jokingly refers to Meryl as her lover. And it's like they had, as Meryl has done, I think a lot, especially recently, as the Oscars have become more of a months long campaign and and a series of productions and whatever, Meryl's relationships with the women in her category are sort of like fun and interactive. Like I think of um, her and Viola Davis, who Mm -hmm. after co-starring in Doubt uh, are end up, up against each other in the 2011 campaign and Meryl ends up winning for the Iron Lady. But like that friendship is strong. Obviously Viola gave that phenomenal speech, giving Meryl the Cecil B. DeMille award at the Golden Globes that one year, which everybody remembers the Meryl speech because it was just post Trump and it was very sort of defiantly like Hollywood is, you know, the melting pot that you hate and this kind of thing. But people forget. She went from having completely lost her voice to her voice restores itself. Oh my god! Through the cheers of the crowd, it's so good. It's such a great speech. Great. I, um, but before that, Viola gives this like also really fantastic speech about how much she idolized Meryl and sort of and strikes a very familiar, friendly tone with her, sort of like jabbing her and ribbing her and that kind of thing. And it really it made me believe in in true friendship all over again. I see you. I see you. And you know, all those rainy days we spent on the set of doubt, every day my husband would call me at night and say, did you tell her how much she means to you? And I said, no, I can't say anything, Julius. I'm just nervous. All I do is stare at her all the time. He said, well, well, you need to say something. You've been waiting all your life to work with this woman. Say something. I said, Julius, I'll do it tomorrow. Okay, well, wait, oh, you better do it tomorrow because when I get there, I'm going to say something. <laughs> Never said anything. But I'm going to say it now. You make me proud to be an artist. You make me feel that what I have in me, my body, my face, my age, is enough. It would have been really interesting to see Meryl and Sandra Bullock's relationship sort of like kickstart even earlier, co-starring on Prime, although I don't know if I would want this movie sort of as a, as a bad omen in their in their professional past sure because it I wouldn't don't know have turned if out i well. i mean obviously sandra bullock wanted changes and she was right to want them but i feel like rafi is such a like non-character she's a blank she truly beyond is. her like emotional journey in the movie like i don't We literally spend so much time with everyone else's professions. I don't remember if it even says what she does. Um, She's a fashion something, right? She's a fashion photo layout designer. She's a fashion photo review. She's a fashion Um, photo review. She. This movie is a boot and very much not a toot. (laughs) Uma Thurman's job Um, is peppermint in that video with Bob the Drag Queen, where she just keeps going. It's fashion. fashion. (laughs) And she decides if something is fashion or yeah. not, and she yeah. laughs or just not. But but is, it, but is it fashion? It's excuse me, it's fashion. <laughs> it's fashion. Is it fa- wait? What is it? Fashion. It's fashion. <laughs> Stop it! It's fashion. Um. <laughs> um. 
so yeah, I don't understand Rafi. I feel like I would understand her less with Sandra Bullock playing her, which is not a dig at Sandra as a performer, but like, I guess for like the type of woman that the movie wants us to see Rafi as, like you put Uma Thurman in the role, I guess it makes sense if you're not going to paint her beyond that. Right. And Sandra Bullock, I mean, maybe I don't ever think of Sandra Bullock as like a New York City character unless they're super neurotic or um, like have a really shitty boss or... No, I now I want to go look up Sandra Bullock's filmography and see if there's anything where I could credibly be like, oh, she's New york Fabulous like, New York City woman. Two weeks notice? Two weeks notice has to happen in, in New shitty York. Shitty boss. Right? Yeah. Shitty. So so that's, that's her New York oeuvre is shitty boss. Not shitty boss, but, like, her New York oeuvre is her job is her life. Because doesn't she live in, like, Brooklyn or Queens and Miss Congeniality? That's a question I don't know the answer to. I should, but I don't. Rafi's job is definitely not her life. No, absolutely not. No, that's the vaguest part of her character. I guess the proposal, right? She's She is the shitty boss in that one. Sure, You're totally but right. But her job is her life. Yes. Wow. You've really nailed it. 28 yeah. Days, maybe. I don't know. I can't remember where she originates from in that. Certainly not something like days, Practical right? Magic, Practical Magic. Well, her job annoying. in that movie is to be drunk. Right. Then <laughs> She's very dedicated to it. It is her life. You're totally yeah. right. 28 Days is good. 28 Days is underrated. I will say that. As a sort of really good. catch it on, on, you know, cable with commercials on a weekend on like a Saturday afternoon or something like that. Yeah. The Tiny Brain Clusters on Santa Cruz. Also, uh, in the realm of Her Job is Her Life and that kind of thing, she was, of course, the star of the Working Girl television series in 1990 before she ever became a famous film actress. So, yeah, I think you're definitely onto something here. I don't know. I feel bad for Uma in this movie. Me too. She's clearly trying, clearly is, like, coming into this the last minute. And I do think she's likable in the movie. Like, she's not a bad, you know, leading actress in a romantic comedy. It's just, like, she's saddled with this underdeveloped character who has already been, like, gone through literal rehearsal perform- uh, rehearsal procedures with another performer. So, yeah. it's like, everything is kind of asunder. So, let's... I want to talk about this spe- very specific era in Uma Thurman's career. Because, like... Pulp Fiction happened in 94, and she was, of course, like a very popular and castable actress, and she gets in a bunch of things. And then I'm not sure whether like Batman and Robin killed it, but like Batman and Robin in 97, and then the Avengers, the bad Avengers in 1998. The bomb Avengers, and also Les Mis. Yeah, yes, the non-musical Les Mis. So like all of those things on top of each other really kind of like knocked her down, and Kill Bill was definitely... Not like a complete comeback, but like it was a relief to have her sort of like back on top in that way. She also at that around that time had done that HBO movie Hysterical Blindness with um, mm-hmm. I think Mira Nair directed that, and it uh, was with her Juliet Lewis, Jenna Rollins and Juliet Lewis, and they were sort of like eighties Jersey trashy people, but like it was very much like a character study and she was very good in it and then follows that with the two kill bill movies which like she's on top of the world at that point and mm-hmm. 
It couldn't last. 2005, she's in Be Cool, the disastrous Get Shorty sequel, where it reunites her and Travolta from Pulp Fiction. And, like, neither one of those um, reunion uh, revival aspects helps that movie be anything that anybody wanted to see. And then also Prime, and then also the producers, which... Like, she's the one who came out unscathed, even though from I haven't seen it still. Um, we got to do the producer. She's a terrible singer. Yes, she is, and that's and I think that clip got shown a lot. And we got to do the producers at some point, maybe soon, because we're, we're uh, running out of musicals, though. We are, but you know, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. But this is just—it's such a bummer year for her that it that at the point where she's back at the top. And as I said, a lot of people thought she was overdue for a lead actress Oscar nomination because she had been snubbed for both of the Kill Bill movies in which she's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And 2005, such a crash. And after and it keeps that... going down because after that is my super ex-girlfriend, which bombs and is terrible. Yep. After that is Secret Columbine movie, The Life Before Her Eyes. <laughs> yes. Secret Columbine. It's totally true. God, what a terrible movie that is. And then it's like not even movies that exist. You know what I mean? Then it's... um, Although I will say she's in a movie... She's in a movie in 2010 called Ceremony, which is legitimately the better version of Prime. And I totally forgot about it until I just saw this on her IMDb. It's not a movie I really remember anymore, but at the time I really liked it. It's her. Oh, it's Michael and Garno. It's Michael. Her and Michael and Garno are in a relationship in that one. But you know who's freaking fantastic in that is Jake He's Johnson. A little wee handsome. Yeah, Jake Johnson in that movie, which was just before he became anybody. It was like maybe the year before New Girl or. Um, it wasn't too long before New Girl at all, but he's, I think he plays her brother. He plays Uma Thurman's brother, and he's kind of volatile, and he's wonderful. Just absolutely fantastic. It's worth checking out, I will say. It is absolutely the superior version of, it doesn't have, obviously, like the mother therapist angle or anything like that, but in terms of a kind of May-December romance with Uma mm-hmm. as the December it's really, really good. I really enjoyed it. Uma Thurman as my December. Um, well, Uma Thurman's my December was appearing on Smash in 2012. As that is true. Peanut victim <laughs> Rebecca Duvall. Yeah, Smash happens after that. I will say Uma Thurman is good in her one scene in uh, Lars von Trier's Nymphomaniac. Yeah, where she shows up to her husband's house like with her uh, with her to her husband and her mis- and his mistress with their children and is like should i show the children the whoring bed that's and the line i was about screaming. to ask you what's the line from the trailer because i've not seen nymphomaniac but i remember the line from the trailer and it is should i show the children the whoring bed would it be all right if i show the children the whoring bed it's what's that line in the beguiled trailer that everybody fucking flipped out about bring me the anatomy book bring me the anatomy book bring yes bring me the anatomy it's the bring me the anatomy book of the nymphomaniac trailer absolutely for sure at some point the kennedy center honors is going to have to address the fact that uma thurman was in both smash and the slap which is it's very true a double feature that is unparalleled in terms of like 
you, at best, you only ever get one of those TV series in a career. And the fact that Uma was in both of them is astounding. Like, it really does deserve uh, recognition in some way or another. My great shame is that I still have seen neither. I would... I've made it this far through quarantine seeing neither of them. I don't know if I'll ever make it. Oh, I think you would. I think you would get a lot of. You would just text me every day and just be like all caps, just like yelling at me at what a lunatic I am for making you watch it. But like, I think you would get a lot out of it. Is what I will say. All right. Yeah, Uma's career. Feel bad for Uma. I do. Plus, even it's like her biggest success is the Kill Bill movies. And, like, we've since heard of, like, all the shit that went down on set with that, and she was almost killed, and... Yeah. her And, and then the other one is Pulp Fiction, and obviously her relationship with Harvey Weinstein is not great. And all of her... Right. All of her biggest successes seem to have these kind of... A pall is cast over them now, and it sucks. It sucks for her because it's not her fault, and... I don't know. She's I like great. her. She's one, She's not one of those actresses that, like, you know, lock her in. You can count on, like, this fantastic performance every single time. But when she's on, she's on, and she's really good. Well, and I was also just making this a few this point a few weeks back about Catherine Zeta-Jones, that it's like if we had certain kinds of movies and certain kinds of tastes still in the mainstream, we would maybe get more great roles for a performer like Uma. Like, I say what you will about Batman and Robin. We are well on the record that I think it is great and you think it is terrible. Like, she is giving exactly what that movie is asking her to do. And, like, she's doing it better than anybody else in that movie. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's... I think she comes out unscathed of it. It's completely insane and bug nuts, but it's what you want out of that. If you want a complete drag queen performance. That is what you are getting in spades. And yes, let's pivot to Meryl for a second, because the thing that I made note of as I'm watching the movie last night, and I'm sort of marking this down, this is our sixth episode on a Meryl Street movie, which puts her... I we done that many. I didn't either, and that's why I sort of like... But we did all... We've done all three of her disastrous 2007 movies, which is Lions for Lambs, that Rendition, and Evening. And then we've also covered It's Complicated, early on, Ricky and the Flash, and now Prime Makes Six. So a lot of shows, Saturday Night Live, our beloved Blank Check podcast, uh, recognize a five-timers club. I propose that we recognize a six-timers club, because that is right now the apex of this head Oscar buzz recidivism. Is Okay. We currently have four, four, five with an asterisk, but I'll explain that in a second, actors in our six-timers club. It's Meryl, it is Naomi Watts, who just got boosted, went from two to six real quickly after our month-long feature on Naomi Watts. We've done Jay Edgar, I Heart Huckabees, and then our series, which we did La Divorce, The Painted Veil, Diana, St. Vincent. So Naomi's at six. Anthony Hopkins is at six with Hannibal, Alexander, Meet Joe Black, The Human Stain, Bobby, if you'll recall, and most recently Proof. 
And then, of course, we've talked about our love for Claire Danes. And the Claire Danes thing is funny because we did four Claire Danes movies within the span of, like, 12 episodes. Where we and, did like, fully by accident. Fully by accident. And yep. then we leaned into it because it was funny. Family Stone to Jillian on her 37th birthday. How to Make an American Quilt, which she's, like, not in very much, but it counts. Shop Girl, and then Evening, and The Rainmaker most recently. So that's her six. Our asterisk is Matt Damon, who we've done Courage Under Fire, Suburbicon, All the Pretty Horses, and The Rainmaker. He's also a voice in The Majestic and a cameo in Finding Forrester. So I think that's... Not the same as our Six Timers Club, but he's I in sort of... I think the cameo counts as a performance, and maybe the voice doesn't. Either way, he's sort of in an anti-room sort of all to himself. And if you're interested in the two that are closest to cracking Six Timers, one of them I think we'll do, we'll make it very soon. Uh, it's Jake Gyllenhaal, because we've got a bunch of Jake Gyllenhaal movies. Yeah, sort I was surprised Jake Gyllenhaal the wasn't there yet. Gyllenhaal, we've done Brothers, Love and Other Drugs... Rendition, Zodiac, and Proof. So that's his five. Also in our five-timers designation, we won't call it a club, because again, the club is reserved for the six-timers. Dermot Mulroney. Uh, I wonder if I can guess these. Yeah, let's see if you can. A couple of them Um, came as a surprise, even to me, as I was looking this stuff up. He's in How to Make an American Quilt, He absolutely is. Okay. Ugh trying to think he's in two of our claire danes movies oh what's the oh he's not an evening nope i'm making a quilt he's not in the, to jillian it's the one where his role is the most prominent of all of his five movies this is the one where his role is the well, most this prominent. is really embarrassing he's technically it's like he's i mean i guess in a technical way he's maybe the protagonist but like not really what the hell is this? I, why do I not remember an episode we've done? Because he's the worst part of this it. movie. He's he's the character you sort of boo and hiss in a ensemble that I otherwise love. He's in the family Stone. Oh duh, yeah. yeah. He's also yeah. in. You're never going to get these other three because like you've you've totally forgotten that he's in it. He's in Jay Edgar. He's in yeah. Zodiac, and he's in Truth. Oh, yeah. The Cape Blanchett I mean, you don't truth. remember anything about truth. Yeah. So, anyway, those are our sort of most oft-discussed performers. Meryl, as I said, has just entered our prestigious Six-Timers Club. So, Chris, I made a game about Meryl, as we did when Claire Danes, when we had Claire Danes on for her sixth episode. We, I have made a little quiz about the six Meryl Street movies that we have covered on this episode. I have made a 20-question quiz, and we will move through it rapidly but excitedly. All right. I think you can do this. So do as, it. as a reminder, the, the six Meryl movies that I will be asking questions about are It's Complicated, Rendition, Lions for Lambs, Evening, Ricky and the Flash, and Prime. All right? It's quite a um, humble feast. <laughs> it is a humble feast indeed. All right. So first one, which one was directed by a woman? Um, uh, oh, fuck. What was it? Uh, it's complicated. Yes. Nancy Myers. 
which one debuted at the Toronto International Film Festival? Rendition. Yes. Which one was written by an Oscar winner? Um, not it's complicated. Oh, um, uh, Ricky and the Flash. Ricky and the Flash, written by Diablo Cody. Which was the only one to open in December? Uh, Lions for Lambs? No, it's complicated. It's complicated, duh. Which two were directed by Oscar winners? And I'll say this has a bit of an asterisk to it as well. Uh, Rendition... That's the asterisk. Uh, Gavin Hood yes. technically is not the Oscar winner for Tatsi. That is whatever country Tatsi is from. Um, it's not this. It's not evening. It's not. It's complicated. It's, well, I just said rendition. Um, oh, it's Ricky and the Flash. It's Ricky and the Flash. And what's the other one? Two of them. Uh, rendition. No, as I said, Gavin Hood is the technicality. So he would be oh. the third one. I should have written all of these movies down because they already escaped me. It's not evening. I'll read them to you again and you can jot them down if you would like. <laughs> it's complicated. Rendition. Lions for Lambs. Uh, evening. Lions for Lambs. The most forgettable movie ever. Yes, it is. Evening, Ricky and the Flash, and Prime. So jot those yes. down and you can have your word back. Yes, Lions for Lambs, written or uh, directed by Oscar winner Robert Redford. Which is the only one that's longer than two hours? Um, ugh, are any of them longer than two hours? It's got to be. It's complicated. It's complicated is exactly two hours, I'm pretty sure. Uh, rendition is two mm. hours and two minutes. So truly. Stupid. Yes, exactly. Um, uh, where am I at? Which film co-stars a Spider-Man? Co-stars a Spider-Man? Well, that would be Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, Tom Holland. Uh, oh, well, it's Rendition. No, that's Jake Gyllenhaal. He almost was Spider-Man. He was almost Spider-Man. Um, what the? Why is this? Oh, no, it's Lions for Lambs. It's Andrew Garfield. It's Andrew Garfield and Lions for Lambs. He's like the lead of the movie. <laughs> yes. Which film co-stars a Spider-Man villain? Um... Defoe, Melina, um, Jamie Foxx, um, Michael Keaton, um, Thomas Hayden Church, <laughs> Topher Grace. Oh, it's Topher Grace. It is, um, uh, uh, which one was Topher Grace in? Not Rendition. Um, Spider-Man villain. Not Uma. Um, I think recent recent Spider-Man so it would be uh, Jake Gyllenhaal oh so it's rendition it's rendition Jake Gyllenhaal I hate, I, everybody loved that Spider-Man and I did not like it it was fine um, it's gone from my memory which film stars a cast member of Connie and Carla oh god Tony Collette so it's um, evening evening yep which Connie and Carla my beloved Connie and Carla I know I knew you would get that one which film stars three Tony Award winners three Tony Award winners um it's got to be Ricky and the Flash which three Audra McDonald Kevin Klein and um Ben Platt Ben Platt very good which film was distributed by Focus Features 
uh, evening. Yep. Which three of these films did Meryl get AARP Movies for Grown Ups Awards nominations for? Uh, this, Ricky and the Flash, and It's Complicated? Not Ricky and the Flash. Prime, yes. It's Complicated, St- yes. Um, Prime. There's also Lions for Lambs, Rendition. I don't think it's either of those. I said it's complicated. What's the other one I'm missing? Evening. Again. Evening. Not Evening. Unless it was like an ensemble nomination. Was it? Wait. None of these are ensemble it? nominations. They're all individual. Okay. Was it Lions for Lambs? It was it Lions for like Lambs. Watched... I was going to say, you're going to get mad at it. God. Yep. God. The only people who watch this movie are the AARP Movies yep. for Grown Up Awards Which... nomination, nomination Committee and us. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and we've all forgotten about it. Which two also star cast members from Dangerous Liaisons? Um, this. Prime. Yep. And, um, well, that's Michelle Pfeiffer, John Malkovich, um, someone else, Glenn Close. Oh, it's evening. It's Glenn Close. Yep, exactly. Which film co-stars two Jack Ryans? Uh, it's complicated. Alec Baldwin and John Krasinski. Very right. Which two films star Best Supporting Actor Oscar winners? Supporting Actor Oscar winners. Yes. Uh, maybe it should be Ricky and the Flash because Rick Springfield should win an Oscar for that movie. I'm kidding. Um, uh, it's not Lions for Lambs because no, none of the men have Oscars in that movie. Um, it's not Rendition. Is it? Could it be Ricky and the Flash? I don't think so. It's not prime. It's not evening. Is it? It's com- no. It's not. It's complicated. It's God. not. It's complicated. I'll say that. So I've gone through all of these movies. Is it just because of Kevin Klein? Is it Ricky in the Flash? Kevin Klein, Oscar winner for A Fish Called Wanda, uh, is in Ricky in the Flash. Yep. Oh, it's not two supporting actors in the same movie. No, although... That's what I thought you said. Um, No. Uh, The two movies that have supporting actor Oscar winners in them. The one you are missing does have two supporting actor Oscar winners in it. Oh, interesting. Yes. You remember zero of them, I bet, even though one of them is a... Being in this movie. Decently prominent role in it. Is it Lions for Lambs? It's rendition. Has both Alan Arkin and J.K. Simmons. Oh, God. Which two films star Best Supporting Actor Golden Globe winners? Uh, Lions for Lambs because of Tom Cruise. Yep. Um, and I'm just going to say it's complicated? No, it's still rendition, but it's uh, just J.K. Simmons. Alan Arkin did not win. See, I thought you were trying to trick me that it would be people who didn't win an Oscar. Never mind. Yeah, I tried. Which is the only one where Meryl Streep is not on the poster? Um, Evening. Evening. Yep. Which two films are set at least partly in New York City? Prime. Mm -hmm. And not Evening. Not It's Complicated. Um, Is it Lions for Lambs? No. I say at no. least partly, though, so... Uh, Rendition. No. Rendition is set in Chicago and Washington, D.C., and, of course, 
Iraq or Afghanistan, maybe. When is Ricky in the Flash in New York City? It's not. It's in Tarzana, and then it's in Indianapolis. Okay. <laughs> uh, is it fucking it's complicated it's it's complicated that's where the college graduation is where they have sex for the first time okay okay which was the only one to top a hundred million dollars domestic um it's complicated correct and the final question which film co-starred brothers-in-law uh it's complicated no wait who do you say who are the brothers-in-law and it's complicated there's just a lot of dudes in that movie. It makes sense. Okay. <laughs> you were so confident when you said it. I was like, oh, <laughs> wait a second. <laughs> Emily Blunt's brother is in uh, It's Complicated? Uh, uh, fine. Is it Lions for Lamps? It is not. Is it Evening? It is not. It's Evening. No. No. <laughs> okay. What is it? What is it? Well, you're down to two, so take a stab in the dark. Rendition? Yes. Jake Gyllenhaal and Peter Sarsgaard are in rendition. Everyone is in rendition, goddamn. Everybody is in rendition. Why did that movie fail so badly? Yes, correct. Good job. Kind of terrible job, but I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, all right. I want to transition to a deeply dark and cursed corner of this film, which is their weekend in the Hamptons in um, oh my God. homosexual uh, purgatory. It's like, gay rich people, gay rich people. They probably say the words gay and rich a dozen times. It is both. Scene, and I was repulsed the whole time. I will say it is both a semi-accurate skewering of rich white gays while also sure. being... Because it is, especially because it is from an outsider's perspective, um, frequently, uh, as you say, casually homophobic in its othering of these characters. Well, and it's so clearly coming from a, a straight bro perspective, and then it is presented in a straight bro's perspective. It is not great. That part was less casually to me. Like it's very casually racist throughout the whole movie. Yeah, but when one of one of the one of the Camptons gays was very casually like, "I vote Republican for uh, tax reasons," I was like, "Oh yeah, like that's no, you don't. No, absolutely, he does. Absolutely, yes. There are rich white no, gays. No, on the he Hamptons. doesn't. He is definitely just a Republican, and like that's something that gay Republicans said. That. Oh no, but I mean, but like that's a thing." Like, that's... Sure. I feel like that was, you know, accurate characterization. The thing that bugged me was the fact that you have this Zach Orth character, who is the one who introduces Brian Greenberg to Uma Thurman when they're at line at Cinema Village to see the Antonioni double feature. Sigh. I miss New York so much. Um, That when he initially introduces them, he is very sort of obviously... Uh, hot for Brian Greenberg. They worked together or something. That's obviously why he um, called him out in the line. And then by the time we see him again, he has become this like calcified, embittered, just like hates, hates 
Brian Greenberg hates like Uma for, staring from a corner at him the whole time, even though he's with the group somehow. Just he's like standing in a philosophical corner, just brooding gay about his villainy. lust for him, like just like fondling his metaphorical wine glass, really, and just sort of like yeah. plotting. Uh, it's like, um, oh, what was the miniseries? Did you see the miniseries with uh, T- Tom Hiddleston, the Night Manager? No. Um, Elizabeth Debicki's in it, and Tom Hollander plays this, like, perfect sort of, like, gay secondary villain kind of character, and I'm just, and it's, like, delicious in that way. I have maybe never liked a Zach Orth character in my entire lifetime of watching movies. Has Zach Orth also played this gay character several times during this time? I feel like yes. This one is like the Uber version of it, right? Though he has like the uh like ironed hair. He has Keith Urban's hair today. Um Yes. He's and, in Yeah. He's in Wet Hot American Summer and I think he like he's supposed to be obnoxious in that movie. I think he's like probably supposed to be obnoxious in a lot of these movies. He's one of the like jerks in Loser. Remember that movie Loser with Jason sure. Biggs and Mina Suvari? He is one of Kevin Klein's students. He's always in these like weirdly like gay adjacent uh roles even if he's not playing gay. He's sort of adjacent to the Bradley Cooper, Michael Ian Black storyline in Wet Hot and he's one of Kevin Klein's students along with Lauren Ambrose uh in In and Out. But he's just always so fucking obnoxious and I really just like end up and he's always a side character so it always feels weird that I like focus on how much I hate his characters but I always do. He's good at playing unlikable people, but perhaps too good at it that you just really recoil when you see him on screen. Yeah, It's like, oh, I'm going to hate this character. Great. Yeah. So the casual homophobia is sort of like halfway on target and half not. There was that there's that one dumb line where he's Brian Greenberg is sort of like fawning over the house and the Hamptons house and whatnot, which I relate. Um, But he's like, this is how rich people live. And Uma's like, this is how gay rich people live. And it's just like, no, this is just how rich people live. Like. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah. The casual racism is worse, for sure. I like I can't even pinpoint a moment. It's just like kind of peppered throughout the movie in a way that's just fully um well, unnecessary moment, but illuminating. The real moment is when he tells Uma in in talking about how hard it's going to be to tell his parents that he's dating a non-Jewish girl is that he dated a black girl once and he brought her oh, to yeah, his there's grandmother. Oh yeah, there's the whole sequence where he thinks it kills his grandmother. That he brought home a black girl. And it's so much like, it's so othering, and it's so much like told as this like like, cute anecdote. Territory where it's like there's a flashback that like it's shot in a different like color story. It's very sepia, yeah. And then and then the punchline is that this grandmother, whenever he tells her something about his life that she doesn't approve of she just starts bonking her head with a cast iron frying pan as this sort of just like you know self-flagellating whatever manipulative matriarch kind of a thing and it's played as the like the cutesiest anecdote and it's just like just the tone is so off as you said it's not like it's not vile but it's just like the casualness with which younger is able to sort of like toss this off as like a cute story like cute story my family is so racist that i couldn't even bring home my black girlfriend this one time ha 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 and 
combined with the fact that his artwork is like all these like like portraits mm-hmm. of black women appropriative and yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's bad it's bad it, it, i was like kind of outraged that uma thurman sees one of his paintings and is like you're so good you have to paint which is just like it i mean but i feel like that's a thing in so many movies where people sort of like are their artistic uh, ability is sort of plucked out of a crowd and it's always so hard to look at stuff and just be like you know this and i don't know art's subjective yes indeed so when we talk about why this movie failed i feel like we've made like a decent case for it oh i didn't yeah. mention the we're not we're not expressing revolutionary um opinions no. about this movie everybody basically felt this way i didn't get to the john abraham's character though his best friend who was like the most obnoxious character in a movie i've seen in quite a while who was just that's the he's the boyfriend in the first scary movie he's a boy- Has never played a character that wasn't a variation on that he's one of the like I think he's one of the younger teachers in Boston Public, if you ever watched Boston Public. And like I did. Right? He's like Nikki Cat's friend. Was he Katz the one friend. that had like the the statutory rape scandal? No, that was Tom McCarthy. Oscar director of Oscar winning uh Best Picture Spotlight, Tom McCarthy. Um was that role. No. John Abrahams, I think, was brought in in like the second season, maybe, when like Jerry Ryan was brought in. And he's, I think yeah. just like one of the like young Maybe cool teachers. I can't remember. Maybe I should watch Boston God, Public. God, Boston Public. Like, hospital shows are crazy because it's like, wow, this much shit just, like, happens here at this one hospital. That's crazy. Boston Public, if that was a school, like, the entire administration should be, like, fired. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's everything that happened in that one high school. But also, it's such a fascinating moment in time because it's David E. Kelly who is on the hot streak of his life where he does the practice for ABC and it becomes this, like, unlikely smash hit Emmy-winning legal drama. Follows that up with Ally McBeal, which, like, captures the fucking zeitgeist because a lawyer wore a miniskirt in the pilot like it's everything about ally mcbeal is like too too cutesy too clever too whatever but it like it absolutely for a very short period of time captivated the nation and so on the heels of that he's like he was like the ryan murphy of the moment where it's just like do it do anything you want to do just do it and so he uh created boston public which is the like third in this triptych of boston area tv shows but instead of being about lawyers this one is about public school teachers but it's treated with the same like level of insane like case of the week stuff that the lawyer shows were and it's like Loretta Devine and Five-ish Finkel and Michael Rappaport and like the most like extra out of like off the wall sort of characters and every week it's a different sort of like you know um momentary drama but it's fully insane in a single school year enough happens in one school to fully remove all of their federal funding absolutely that's the premise that's the premise of Boston uh Boston Public smell that shoe um what a weird show <laughs> but how did we get on that? Oh, John Abrahams. So the thing about John Abrahams' character, he's the obnoxious best friend. And a lot of these rom-coms have obnoxious best friends and whatever. I still say that the best rom-coms find a way to make all these characters likable in one way or another. This one does not. But this fucking guy, whose entire sort of Sucks. like... 
his entire character quirk, his version of Catherine Zeta-Jones knowing all this stuff about Napoleon, is like, I am going to take my revenge on women who either won't sleep with me anymore or won't sleep with me, like, show up on their doorstep and, like, smash a cream pie in their face, which, A, stupid and gross and like uh absolutely top toxic masculinity uh uh personified but also we see a scene of them waiting in a line like an actual like line out the door at magnolia bakery which does happen um to buy a banana cream pie from magnolia for the purposes of smashing in a girl's face like do you know how much money magnolia charges for a full banana cream pie like go to your fucking like Go to your bodega, to a gas station. buy a graham cracker crust tin, fill it with fucking Cool Whip, and do your business. Like, don't spend all this money. Buy a goddamn Marie Callender's in the freezer section, for God's sake. Like, I don't understand why you need to spend $25 or whatever the hell it's going to cost you for a Magnolia pie just to be a toxic male I'm nightmare. i to bet it's more than that. Yeah. Um, just illuminating how stupid the character is. Um, Infuriating. And every single time they come back to him, I'm just like, it just makes He's you... always in some dumb fucking hat. Like, of course, that type of guy is always in a dumb fucking hat, but like... And this character type is usually meant to help you contrast with your main character and be like, well, at least the main character isn't as bad as this guy. But this movie, it's the complete opposite, which is I hate the Brian Greenberg character so much more whenever this other guy's around because it's exactly. like, how are how is this your friend? And it makes, like, the relationship not believable because, like, sorry, if you have shitty friends, she's probably not fucking you. She's like, 37 years old. She has absolutely learned the she lesson of— She is not going to put up with your bad friends, so she is not going to put up with you. She's absolutely, by that point, learned the lesson of if his friends are shitty assholes, he is also a shitty asshole. Like, right? come on. Which, I mean, like, his friends suck, but also, he sucks. Like, <laughs> yes. It's to true. belabor the point that I'm like, I hate this character. This dude is lame. <laughs> but he looks like that, Chris. I don't know. I, 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 I sympathize with I mean, with her. but like, there's a lot of guys that look like that. <sighs> One of them's got to be nice to Uma Thurman. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a finely, it's a fine and good point. Um, the other thing. Go and find like, John Foster. <laughs> what's that? I said, go find John Foster. Yeah, John you, Foster. you go find John Foster, Chris. You leave me with Brian Greenberg. Um, his career is kind of interesting too, right? Because by when he's making this nice movie, what's that? I said that's a nice way to say you that. You are a bitch. I swear to God. Let me have my moment with Brian Greenberg, for God's <laughs> sake. While he is making this film, he's also filming that really weird self-referential, uh, I believe George Clooney produced HBO show Unscripted, which basically aired this same year and it's this like quasi half real half fake documentary series about a young about young actors trying to make it and whatever and he's one of the main characters it's him it's um krista allen who was in i want to say liar liar but i mostly know her as the uh replacement billy reed on days of our lives she replaced lisa rinna in the role of uh billy reed on days of our lives anyway 
it's these actual young actors trying to make it in this like semi-fake, semi-real documentary. It was just deeply weird. It was Clooney and Steven Soderbergh who produced this series. So it was like sure. the pedigree could not have been higher. Um it's a it's a failed experiment for sure, but the while that is filming is when he's landing the role in Prime. Um obviously it did not uh I mean, it actually, his career did go some places. He goes from this, he's in, um, he had already been sort of a guest star on One Tree Hill by this point. He gets the lead in this ABC series called October Road, which my my one coworker had to cider. I fully remember the commercials for this. Like, this was the prestige show that got, like, the great commercials during Grey's Anatomy, where it was like, if you love Grey's Anatomy, you're going to love October Road. Yeah, he was a sort of young, successful author who comes back to his hometown, and everybody's like, you think you're better than us. And it's basically like, you think you're better than us, the the TV show. I want to say Laura Prepon was in that show. <laughs> she well. was in that show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's, I'm trying to think of, like, he's always sort of just like, He's kind of the boyfriend in things. He's on, I guess, the Mindy Project. I remember him mostly from, it's Bride Wars, right, that he's in? Yes. Yes. Is he the good one in Bride Wars, or is he the bad one in Bride Wars? I don't Because one of them ends up with, much of that movie. one of them, one of the fiancés ends up being a bad fiancé, and one of them ends up with the bro- the other, one of the girls ends up with the other girl's brother. And I can't remember... Chris Pratt was one of the guys in it, um, and Greenberg is one of them. I do not care enough to investigate the plot of Bride Wars to figure out which I'm right about, but maybe somebody can tell me at some point. But, yeah, I don't know. Interesting, sort of. Yeah. You hate him. That's fine. It's your right. I mean, I don't hate him. It's just, like, he has that whole, like, facial blindness thing that it's, like, you. it makes sense that he, like, didn't progress to much more starring roles i think i think he's not necessarily a specific kind of performer oh. even though he has a specific look the other thing that i find interesting and and uh not everybody will he's married to former real world star jamie chung jamie chung who among now, other this things, is interesting to me <laughs> jamie chung was on the san diego season of the real world which i think was like the 12th or 13th season um uh, the same season with uh, Frankie, who has since passed away from cystic fibrosis, but Frankie, who was afraid of large ships, if you recall, that season of San Diego. Um, Jamie was like the quiet, nice girl who literally just like did not get involved with drama and thus did not get a whole ton of storyline. She was on like one season of The Challenge. I think she maybe like had this like very sweet flirtation with um, The Miz, who is now a WWE champion. Um, Jamie Chung's claim to fame as an actress is she was Mulan on Once Upon a Time. She gets, like, she shows up in things. She was in, oh, what was that terrible Zack Snyder movie with all the women? Um, Sucker Punch? Sucker Punch. She was one of the she was one of the women in Sucker Punch. Anyway, former real-world star. She's been married to Brian Greenberg for, like, many years. She is in my sub-genre of real-world cast members who have married famous actors, which it's her, it's... Obviously, our beloved Jacinda Barrett, who married... Who was I was going to say, please invoke Jacinda Barrett. It's been a while. Uh, married to other suits from Suits. And 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 what's-his-face from uh, uh, Love Song for Bobby Long, which we covered on this podcast. And, of course, Kelly from Real World New Orleans, who is still married to Scott Wolf, which it's been, like, 
20 years like it's been a long time that marriage has lasted and good for them so yes that's my that's my news you can use about (laughs) brian greenberg (laughs) as we mentioned in the quiz chris this is a movies for grown-ups it's one it's only nomination ever is a movies for grown-ups nomination for meryl streep as best actress which makes complete sense ultimately because like this this is like an Oscar prediction movie until people see it, right? Yep. Like, it immediately died once people saw the movie. I think there was a little bit closer to release because, like you mentioned, it came out in late October. When it doesn't show up at somewhere like Toronto, mm-hmm. you can kind of start doubting a movie like this because it's not like it's a huge movie that that would explain that they didn't go. The good version of this movie is like The Meddler, which did play Toronto. So, like, that's the mm-hmm. that's how you can tell. Yes, for sure. God, The Meddler is so good. The Meddler is very good. Uh, very, very good. Go check it out. Um, we love Lorraine Scafaria. We do. God, she's the best. Okay, so this category at Movies for Grownups, we've talked about twice before because this is the third film from this category that we have discussed on this show. She's nom- Not a chance in hell we will do the other two. <laughs> no, it's She's a Nominee, Judy Dench for Ladies in Lavender is a nominee, Shirley MacLaine for In Her Shoes, which even though she's clearly a supporting actress in that film is a nominee for lead actress. Also nominated is Liev Ullman for Sarabond, which is a film I've never seen, and I can't imagine I will, but it's Ingmar Bergman's 2003 film uh, Sarabond that apparently didn't get released into the United States until 2005. And then the winner is Joan Plowright from a film I have absolutely neither seen nor heard of called Mrs. Palfrey at the Claremont. I will 1,000% be willing to watch that movie, but there is no reason for us to do it on this podcast. The poster for this I movie, will... I'm just going to lay it out. Uh, As you can imagine, the poster. It's called Mrs. Palfrey and the Claremont. It is Joan Plowright in the giantest coat you've ever seen. Like, <laughs> down to her ankles and like... <laughs> the giantest beige coat. J- just beige mohair as far as the eye can see just like wrapped up in this big old beige coat with this like equally large red scarf uh wrapped around her the only part of her you can see is her face and and also this poster is like from kind of a middle distance and the light is such that it kind of washes out her face so like she almost doesn't exist on this own on her own poster it's her walking down this like stone path in this pastoral setting holding hands with a sweater twink. Literal, literal child Rupert Friend. It's like the poster says and introducing Rupert Friend. He is a bebe in this movie. He is also wearing the biggest, beigest sweater you've ever seen that looks like fuzzy in the way that like Nicholas Holt's sweater in A Single Man was fuzzy. Like you can feel the tactile sort of like, uh, <laughs> you know, fluffiness of it from outside your computer screen. Also wearing a scarf. Also with like washed out blonde hair down to his shoulders and whatever and they are holding hands and he's got like ripped jeans his like jeans are like ripped so like you know it's like yeah he's young. it's like boot cut denim look at how young he is and look at how old she is and they're holding hands and i really really hope um they're in like a uh uh romantic relationship i really do at the very least, it's but like a movie named Mrs. Palfrey at the Claremont. You know exactly what the poster is. It's two people taking a walk 
a in walk like, on a late stone fall. path in the in the woods. It's so pleasant. The poster just like it exudes pleasantness. It almost makes me want to mm-hmm. see it, honestly, because it looks like a Chico's hat. It's so comfy. It's so like the only thing that's wrong about it is they are absolutely dressed for mid to late fall and the the trees are as green as you please like the trees in the background are so bright green and lush and i'm just like this is an autumn wardrobe it's here. truly like a a candle name it's scented named uh like afternoon walk <laughs> it is it is it's like fall foliage it's like vanilla afternoon walk <laughs> yes no it's there's a there is a pumpkin spice flavor to that candle chris i hate to tell you but there absolutely is a pumpkin spice in the spring in the indeterminate spring but it where is, you wear it is a giant not coat? the spring they are absolutely dressed for the fall like i do, i refuse to believe that they are uh these are fake trees These are fake fake plastic trees much like radiohead warned us about they were warning us about the setting of mrs palfrey <laughs> they were at warning the us about the mrs palfrey at the claremont they knew uh line of candles including afternoon walk <laughs> Afternoon Walk by Yankee Candle. I would absolutely buy that and light it aflame right now if I could. I love the Movies for Grown Ups Award so much for this. I mean, they've, they've given us so much, truly. So much to talk about in our lives. At the same ceremony, they give Best Actor to Jeff Daniels for The Squid and the Whale. Talk about, like, two completely different uh, vibes, mixed tones. Squid and the Whale is like a vomit-scented candle. <laughs> it's like... It smells it's like, like vomit the, and bad on we is that candle. It smells like the library books that the little kid like masturbated on in that movie. Like it's, it's such a good movie. It's such and also like I watched it again very recently. Incredibly brief. It's like sub eighty minutes. It's incredibly mm-hmm. short, but it's so good. I think I've mentioned that on this before. I'm going through my notes to see if there's anything else I want to bring up. Is there anything else you want to bring up? Uh, oh, I mean, we kind here's of... a thing. So the movie keeps the fact that Meryl Streep is uh, Brian Greenberg's mother a secret. We see her early on in the scenes being Uma's therapist. But the, the part where she's Brian Greenberg's mother is given this, like, peekaboo surprise when he goes home for, like, Friday Night Seder or whatever. And it's... It's shocking to me that this is, again, why I feel like the casting of Meryl Streep in this movie came at a late stage, because marketing exists. And once you've cast Mm -hmm. Meryl Streep in your movie, you are obviously going to be advertising Meryl Streep. And so the movie sort of kind of assumes that you've seen no, no, no ads about it, no posters about it, no TV commercials. Because otherwise, like, this is not a surprise. I don't understand why the movie is, like, playing cutesy peekaboo with this. Because, like, TV commercials exist. That's why we're, that's why yeah, we're seeing this Yeah, I think it movie. doesn't happen until, like, a half hour into the movie. It's so weird. It's so weird. Um, well, Meryl's not in the movie that much. No, unfortunately. This is a very foot-forward movie. I wondered whether that was, like, Uma Thurman's gravitational pull sort of thing. Like, there are just, like, full, like, <laughs> shots of, like, her feet and Brian Greenberg's feet. And it's 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 very foot-focused. And I guess that's Uma's power. What else? I'm glad you brought up the theater that they actually go to. Because when 
that scene came up, I was like, this is definitely an existing movie theater in New York City, and I can't tell what it is. And one of my more depressing behaviors during quarantine, because we can't go to movie theaters, has been going on the Cinema Treasures website Mm -hmm. and looking up, I can't imagine anything fucking sadder than this, but like looking up different old movie theaters that either don't exist or are now closed. Cinema Village. So I was very curious what that theater is. Cinema Village is in the West, in in, uh, the West Village. It's sort of a couple blocks west of like Union Square. And it's one of the like, there are sort of like three sort of like small little indie theaters in that general area. Quad Cinema got refurbished somewhat recently. And I'm not sure whether Cinema Village has. I'm trying to remember if that's the place where I saw, um, I always try to try to remember these theaters from like what movies I saw there. And I saw one of the, um, Remember that year where Gasland was a documentary feature nominee, the movie where they lit their tap water on fire because it had gas? There was also a film that year, a documentary nominee called Wasteland that same year. And I think I saw Uh both of them at Cinema Village. But like, obviously, I've seen other things. It's tough to remember that general sort of few theaters in that area. But it's all like, it's wonderful and quaint. And I love a movie, as I've mentioned previously. I love a movie theater that has a marquee that you can, you know, see in movies. And obviously this one was, you know, ginned up for the movie, for uh, for the purposes of Prime, so that we could tell that they're both very, um, uh, in, come from intellectual backgrounds, that they're going to see the Antonioni um, double feature, which should seem fun. Oh, that would be fun. This is the other thing that I was super annoyed by. This, this is a Ben Younger thing. Brian Greenberg... The plot machinations of this movie require that when he and Uma are on a break, uh, to quote the parlance of friends, he ends up sleeping with the one beautiful, again, vaguely fashion-employed woman who works with... uh, It's fashion. Everybody, it's fashion. Um, fashion. Works with Uma at the fashion place, at the fashion emporium. And... Um, the fashion hut. <laughs> he runs into her at a club and she's in the roped off area and she lets him in and whatever. And you know they're going to sleep together. It's just a matter of just like, just fucking get the train to the station. Just like get there. And the movie in this scene has her step out onto the dance floor and start sort of like dorkily slash lamely kind of like dancing around. And I was just like, this fucking movie is so goddamn insecure about beautiful women that it's going to narratively neg this character and sort of like bring her down a notch where like, she's too beautiful. She's too intimidating. Oh, but she's a like, she's a bad dancer. So now we don't have to feel so like bad about our fragile little male egos that like, it just knocks her down a peg. And it was super annoying to me. This is a very male movie in a way. Did you get that sense, or am I just like crazy? Am I just like well drawing parallels that or drawing conclusions that shouldn't? Be no, made? no. Like again, like to all the points that I've said before. Like there's there's a lot of uh, examples in this movie that I'm like, this is like, I don't know. It comes from this like toxic perspective that feels like it's getting glossed over in a way that. I don't know. It feels a little bit like if somebody tried to mold. Not something as extreme as a hangover movie, 
but like uh, I don't know. It's not even like an Edward Burns movie, right? Like maybe a good version of this movie is like an Edward Burns movie at the very least. But like, yeah, I think that the the toxic masculinity and the sort of like the douchiness is at a is at a low simmer in this. It really it never becomes at least I don't think goes over into a full sort of like aggro boil or anything like that. Yeah, but but it's always there. It's always it there. never goes away. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it's kind of surprise. I mean, I guess my last point on the movie is it's surprising to me that Meryl wanted to do this movie. That's how much I feel bad about it. Yeah, especially coming off of the hot streak that she was on with again adaptation, The Hours, Angels in America. It's so like bizarre. Even like because the Manchurian Candidate comes after those and before this, but like even that one, it's a remake of the Manchurian Candidate, movie. and it's a Jonathan Demi movie. Of course, she's going to want to make that. But so it's just like she makes The Hours, she makes Adaptation, she makes Angels in America, she works with Jonathan Demi, and then like what's the natural success for, successor to all of this? Is this like middling, like low profile, low budget, nothing movie that? I mean, it could have just been a paycheck. She lives in New York City. Sure. This could, oh, absolutely. She probably shot for barely more than a week on this movie. My last word on this movie is going to be just find and rent Jennifer Westfeld's Iron Abbey. You will be invariably happier, if for no other reason, than Christmas scene is in it. And Christmas scene is adorable. I would say Jennifer Westfeld's Friends with Kids, which has some problems, but it ends in like the most romantic way to me of two people like fumbling into bed together also that i thought it was sweet watch a jennifer westfelt movie instead of watching prime you will not be sorry do we want to do the imdb game sir sure we can do the imdb game uh every week we end our episodes with the imdb game as we are prone to do and we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that imdb says they are most known for if any of those are television or voiceover work we mentioned that up front after two wrong guesses we get the remaining titles release years as a clue that's not enough it just becomes a free-for-all of hints indeed chris would you like to go first or guess first I think I'm going to give to you first. Thank you. Put me out of my misery. (laughs) Sure. Um, Okay, so I actually went down the Brian Greenberg route. One of the things that he starred in that you did not mention was the teen film The Perfect Score, in which a bunch of high schoolers try to uh, dupe the SATs and cheat. He's on the poster Uh, of that, right? He's in him and ScarJo and All of the teens, I believe, are. Yeah, Erica Christensen. Yes, uh, a MCU uh, members in the future. Yep. Uh, Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson are in that movie. Indeed. However, I did not pick either of them. I picked a non-MCU star who is also the headliner of this movie, The Perfect Score. It's Miss Erica Christensen. Yeah, any television. There is one piece of television. Is it Parenthood? It is indeed Parenthood. Okay. All right. She was Parenthood. She was the character on Parenthood who like all the Parenthood fans hated. Like it was and it's oh. it's one of those things where it's just like and she was like her storyline was that she's the successful working mom and I was just like okay, can we not just like always hate the working mom? She was kind of annoying on it. Though. Oh Jesus. All right. Anyway, traffic. Traffic is there. It's the drugged out Daughter of Michael Douglas in Traffic. All of her scenes were Girlfriend as of blue Topher as you could please. <laughs> yeah. 
That's how you knew that you were not in Mexico, because her scenes were blue. Um, I do love traffic. Yes. Okay. Is the perfect score one of them? No. Okay. Oh, swim fan's got to be one of them, as the titular swim fan. Swim fan. Yeah. She menaces Jesse Bradford and his hot swimmer's body. Um, And, of course, dear Sherry Appleby of uh, Roswell fame. Okay, so I've got three. Yes, you have one wrong guess. You're awaiting one title. If you get another wrong guess, I will give you the year. God, now I've got to try and remember... Any other Erica Christensen movies? Oh, boy. Is this going to be one of those that's just going to take me forever? Uh, I can give you some hints if you get a wrong Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, let's, let's, like, wait, let's, right let's wait for the free-for-all. Okay. Erica Christensen, other movies that she was in around that time. Because Traffic was sort of like the breakthrough. So that's 2000. And Swim Fan isn't for maybe another two or three years. Is that 02, Swim Fan? Swim fan is O2. O2. Yes. Okay. What a time to be alive for Erica Christensen. Okay. Um There are multiple movies we could do on this podcast that you have not guessed that she is in. In her filmography? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out like what was her like niche cuz I don't remember her being in a ton of like um like teen stuff. Exactly. Like, she wasn't, like, a big teen star. Okay. But, 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 now that you, you said stuff that we could do for this head Oscar buzz, she's one of the daughters in The Upside of Anger. She is. It is not on her known for, however. What a cast. Uh, to play Joan Allen's what daughter. What a cast, The Upside of Anger. Erica Christensen, Carrie Russell, Alicia Witt. Is there a fourth? Uh, or is it just those three? Oh, it crazy! If it's Evan, it's Rachel Evan Rachel Wood. Wood is the little one. Yes, yeah, 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 yes, yeah. yes. We got to do that movie soon. We do. Um, I just want to watch it. Again. I know, me too. Um, but it's not that. It is not that. The movie is from the year two thousand five. I will say, I kind of picked Eric and Christensen when I was looking around simply because seeing this title next to Swim Fan made me kind of chuckle. <laughs> Okay, is it another aquatic... It's like this title, comma, swim fan. Oh, this is like, a movie... It has a very similar title in that it's like this, that. I need to remember swim, swim fan. fan for when we do um, movies that take place in, on, or underwater for categories. Oh my god, yeah, That would be a great <laughs> My one. least favorite category because I am terrible at it. Uh, we were playing this last night. Listeners gave me a little window into our... Uh, into our recreational fun. We were playing movies categories, and the category was movies that take place in, on, or underwater. Not only did I not remember, the, the letters were something in P. One of them, one of the letters was P. Not only did I not recall any of the billion Pirates of the Caribbean movies that would have fit that category, but it took me to the literal second that the time ran out to come up with the Poseidon adventure and Poseidon. Like, I was... I wanted to fully Gina Davis in Beetlejuice, peel the skin off of my face and shoot my eyes out of my skull because the second that they said Pirates of the Caribbean and like got five. Well, also just Pirates in general, because there's also like um, that animated movie Pirates, the Band of Misfits or whatever. Like there's like Pirates is a deep, rich vein for movies that take place on in or underwater. Anyway, anyway. 
Anyway, oh, five. this is in the same uh, iambic pentameter, whatever it is, as swim fan, and it rhymes with swim fan. Swim fan, trim plan. Uh? Trim? Uh, uh. No. Plan. Flight plan. Flight plan. It's flight plan swim fan. <laughs> she's is she what is she is she a stewardess in flight plan? Is that what's probably happening? she's billed as Fiona? I was so excited for flight plan. It's just such a dud that movie. I might Jody rather Foster, eat a knife man. than watch that movie again. I honestly, that might be a fun quarantine movie just to like watch and tweet about and whatever. Flight plan. watch like flight plan. What's the Liam Neeson plane movie? Nonstop with Julianne Moore. Nonstop, Nonstop is fun. Nonstop is also so chock full of familiar actors. Like Lupita's in that, Julianne Moore, Scoot McNary, um, uh, Michelle Dockery from uh, Downton Abbey, uh, Nate Parker, unfortunately. But like, it's so chock full of recognizable faces. Nonstop. Worth, worth it. Saw that movie with like a group of friends at Union Square on a Friday night. I never go to see movies on opening night, Friday night, and especially not at a crowded theater like Union Square. But like for whatever reason, Nonstop was the movie that drew me out. It was weird. It was weird that that happened. All right. So I got him. Flight plan swim fan. Flight plans. So flight plan swim fan traffic uh, parenthood. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I am known for for put it on a t-shirt put it on a t-shirt plan, swim make fan. it happen all right Chris that's our episode uh excuse me oh wait I haven't given you guys I'm like I am off my unless game. you just want to hand me a perfect score and say that absolutely the perfect score happened, not yeah, oh the episode. did you did you go the perfect score route as like a good omen to giving you uh, <gasps> oh, a perfect score I feel a lot of pressure now uh, maybe if I cheat the perfect score like they do in the perfect score. Oh, so now so now you've opened yourself up to cheating allegations. I don't know if you want to do that, Chris. No, no, I don't I, I like winning. <laughs> you fairly. do. You like winning oh, way too much. Winning. Okay. So I do. <laughs> not way too much in general, way too much to cheat. Ah. Yes, exactly. You 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 would because never you would winning. not cheat because you like winning too much is what I'm saying. Nobody can like winning too much. All right. Anyway, I went the Ben Younger route. He had two other films. Okay. Boiler Room, which is bad, but also shows you shot Scott Kahn's butt at one point, which in the oeuvre. It also has Nia Long, and she's amazing. She's amazing. Yes, she's like the one actress in a sea of dudes in that film. But also he made more recently the boxing movie uh, Bleed for This, which I did not see, with Miles Teller, who also was definitely getting Oscar buzz for a moment with uh, Bleed for This. And yeah. did not happen. But I'm going to ask you to give me the known for for Miles Teller. Sure. Um, Whiplash. Correct. Whiplash. Do I think Fantastic Four is on there? The thing is, there's not a lot of Miles Teller movies because he kind of fell off quickly because he is apparently a dick. A dick. Um, yeah, I'm going to say Fantastic Four is on there. The bomberific Fantastic Four is absolutely on there. <laughs> yes. Cool. Um, I don't think Rabbit Hole is going to be on there, though that he is great in. He is. It's the um, one movie he's really great in. That and, weirdly enough, the Footloose remake. Which is my next guess, the Footloose meme. It is not. Okay. Um, uh, he's in the <laughs> fucking Divergent movie, so I'm going to say Divergent. <laughs> not Divergent. 
So now you get years. Damn. It's two wrong answers. You get years. Your years are 2013 and 2015. Um, is tw- because 2013 is wi- is before Whiplash. Is that the spectacular now? Yes, probably his most likable moment in in the pop culture consciousness. He's actually really good in that. It's movie a good too. movie. That's the shitty thing that he's a- apparently a jerk. I am uh, bummed that James Ponsult has sort of gone away. Because there was a moment there yeah. where I was really, really into his movies. He also did mm-hmm. that movie Smashed with Smashed is Mary great. Elizabeth Winstead. I thought the end of the tour was really charming. I know that one had expectations that didn't. We should do the end of the tour at some point. I can tell my Mamie Gummer story. We can talk story. about Ponsult. Yeah. And then he did... Uh, What's my other TV? year? Uh, your other year is 2015. Okay. So, after Whiplash. Um... Is that when Fantastic Four came out? I mean, is it another Divergent movie? Maybe. And <laughs> what's the next one called? Um, Speaking of uh, iambic pentameter rhyming uh, films. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's going to yell at us, be like, that's not iambic pentameter. I know it's, yeah, um, shut up. You know what it's, we it's, mean. It's meter. Shut up. You know what we mean. Yeah. Um, we love you. Um. Uh, so I love when we yell at people who sounds. don't even say things to us yet. Uh, we know what people are We know what you're thinking about. out there. Hashtag me um, <laughs> not looking closely enough and saying that Close Encounters was nominated for Best Picture. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, all the effort that you put into that game, you, we, you earned one mistake. Honestly, do you like the real version of history or do you like my version <laughs> of history where Close Encounters is a Best Picture nominee? You know, my version of history is the good one. Yes. Um, uh, the other divert. It's another Divergent movie. I got it right, right? No, you need to say it. What the hell are those mo- those silly movies called? Um, there is one that does rhyme with Divergent. Yeah, it's this one. They all do, kind of. The third one is like pushing it, <laughs> and then the fourth one that doesn't exist. Um, this one had the naming convention of the Divergent series colon and then what it is. But weirdly the third one um just had the 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 word. It did not have the Divergent series in front of it. That oh, that man. god the way that that series fell apart when everybody just immediately all at once stopped caring about YA dystopia was really funny. Yeah. Um Okay, what? It's insurgent. Uh, it's divergent. Okay, insurgent and allegiant are the three of them. And uh, insurgent. God, is words the one. no one ever says. I don't know why it's not the first divergent. Why it? Why instead it is insurgent? He doesn't. It's not like his role in the second one is that much more prominent than it is in the first one. It's where he's like the character that's the villain that I think becomes like not a villain. But he's always like kind of like can you, you can't really trust him, right? I don't know. I don't remember too sure. much. I I read definitely read both of those two books and did not read the third one. I read I think I read a plot description of what happens in the third one and I think I was just like, "Oh, absolutely not." Oh, no way. One of them has a really good cliffhanger. I forget which one it is, but like I think it's Jesus, the second one. The, the Divergent movies have like crazy people like naomi watts is in them octavia spencer is in those movies kate winslet kate winslet in the first divergent movie is my platonic ideal of that moment in time where incredibly accomplished actresses were cast to play the like 
a dystopian figurehead in in movies like this. Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore. Meryl Streep in uh, The Giver. <laughs> the Giver. <laughs> like, it was... It, Who's rampant. the villain in um, The Host? I never saw The Host, but also Patricia Clarkson in the Maze Runner movies absolutely qualifies for this. Wow. I never saw The Maze Let Runner. Let me look up The Host really quickly. The Host is the Saoirse Ronan post-apocalyptic aliens have Stephanie come. Stephanie Miller, author of Twilight. Oh, right. That is her name, right? Stephanie Miller? Stephanie Meyer. No. Meyer. Right. Sorry, girl. Um, God, there are a lot of movies called The Host, including the one that most people have seen, but like also others. The Bong Joon-ho The Bong Joon-ho, one, the, one the Host. Incredible. Um, there was a Host movie this year, apparently, um, that nobody's seen. What? But The Host with Saoirse Ronan, directed by Andrew Nichol. Oh, sad. Andrew Nichol. Um, oh. Our beloved Gattaca guy. Gattaca Twilight. Is the movie uh, basically Gattaca Twilight? What's it about? What's that? The is host? the movie basically Gattaca Twilight? What's it about? The host, when an unseen enemy threatens mankind by taking over their bodies and erasing their memories, Melanie Strider, played by Saoirse Ronan, will risk everything to protect the people she cares most about, proving that love can conquer all in a dangerous new world. Okay. Honestly, it's quarantine. I'm bored. Feel free to take over my body. This is one of those deeply annoying movies where the IMDb has listed the cast by um, order of appearance, which should be outlawed by a constitutional amendment. And I want uh, Joe Biden to put that on the Democratic Party's platform for this election. You can absolutely do that in a film's credits, but you're not allowed to do that on IMDb. All right. Looking at I'm going on Wikipedia now, which smartly lists it by prominence. Francis Fisher seems to be our best candidate for um, figurehead. She's, I don't know her character in this, but let's say, although William Hurt is also in it. So maybe William Hurt is the, is the male version of this trend and it did not go for uh, a woman. Because Francis Fisher, I can see maybe being like a wise old woman who like knows something and helps them or something. If anybody out there has seen the host and wants to educate us on the plot, I would be fascinated. I Maybe we should watch the host. Look who's in this movie. Like, talk about a moment in time. Not Saoirse. Obviously, Saoirse's gone places. But, like, this was the Max Irons um, small mini era when, like, Max Irons was in things and wasn't just... That doesn't mean anything to my twink facial blindness. Sad son in the, in the wife. Remember Max Irons is the sad son in the wife? Um, talk about actors that divide us. My, uh, uh, beloved Boyd Holbrook is in this movie and some other people. Weird. Diane Kruger. Diane Kruger. Emily Browning in an uncredited, uh, character. Okay. Anyway, now can I end the episode? Yes. Jesus Christ. (laughs) If you want more This Head Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. We very recently had another listener's choice poll that uh, helped us choose what the last movie that we would be discussing in August would be. Your winner is The Way Way Back. We are very excited to talk about that movie. about that in two weeks. We have a lot of... We've been doing more sort of fun slash goofy stuff. We've been previewing our monthly uh, slate with sort of visual visual including this movie which i put a picture of a prime rib on there and no one got it no one got it i love i love it when you hit there's always one movie of the four that people that nobody gets i'm i'm happy with that you're very good at that game it's it's been a fun thing that we've been doing to pass the time chris where can the listeners find you and your stuff 
Um, on Twitter at Crispy File, that's F-E-I-L, also on Letterboxd under the same name. Indeed. I am on Twitter at Joe Reed, Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. I'm also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed, Reed spelled the exact same way. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcasts visibility. So take a break from bonking yourselves on the head with a frying pan and write something nice about us, won't you? That's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more Buzz.